Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Three Now Nation podcast, special edition today. I'm John Hodge. I'm here with TSN's Dave Naylor. Dave, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Uh, very well. My pleasure to be here, John. Thanks very much. We, uh, we decided to sit down and have this discussion because yesterday I posted an article on 3Down about the CFL's business model. A lot has been made about it since this news about the XFL has come out, and we thought it'd be great to sit down and have a chat. We, we discussed it on Twitter on Sunday, Monday. We said, why not sit down? We'll have this conversation, and we'll post it on the podcast, get people involved and in, in part of the chat. So let's start off with this, Nails. I'm just going to throw this to you. Do you feel like the CFL's business model is broken or do you feel like it's not? I think it is. And there are, and I guess th there would be two ways of looking at that. Uh, one is, is it broken in any form, you know, basically the way the league is set up? And, and here's where I'm going at. It, it, there's two questions. One is, is there enough money and revenue being generated in the league? And, or is it the distribution of that revenue? Okay. So I'll try to break that into two. As you point out, you know, there's $20 million shortfall in the league, you know, roughly. And we know that that is disproportionately comes in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, right? Um, the way I always think of the CFL is I kind of think of it as three teams that generally break even, you know, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, three teams that depending on how good their team is and what, frankly, weather they get on game days, home game days, Hamilton, Ottawa, and Calgary can make money or lose, and three teams that are sure to lose money. That's, that's basically the CFL way it breaks down. So there's two ways you can look at it. And one of them is, you know, the, the idea of, of seeing this as more of a whole, you know, greater revenue sharing. Uh, and 
And that, at this point in the CFL's history, tends to be very difficult because you would be taking money from the publicly owned teams and shipping it to Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. And in the case of, you know, I always use the, the extreme example, I say you'd have the people of Saskatchewan sending their money to a company in Toronto that pays Kyle Lowry $560,000 a game U.S. That's a hard sell. Even though the Raptors are a different business than, than the Argonauts, everybody knows MLSE doesn't need money from the people of Saskatchewan. Um, so that's one way. The other way is, you know, costs and uh, versus revenues. And look, I, I really want to compliment you on your article. And, and when it came out, you know, first of all, you know, my reply to it was, well, if the business model worked, right, we wouldn't see, I think, you know, six clear bankruptcies over 25 years and two essential bankruptcies, right, that the league essentially did things to avoid what otherwise would have seen teams go into insolvency. Montreal in 2019 and Toronto in about, was it 2011 or so? Uh, so obviously there's, there's some issues there. Um, but so it, you know, I did a deep dive on it last night and tried to look at some things and, and, you know, you make, you know, this is kind of where CFL fans uh, kind of hit the crossroads on this XFL CFL issue. And you and I are very, I think we're representative of the two groups. One side says the CFL's business model is fine. And if you change the distribution of the money within the league and you peeled back some expenses that have grown since, you know, the last 30 years, you can make a nine-team three-down league viable, okay? The other side of it says the business model is broken. There's nowhere to gain more revenues in Canada. The demographic is working against us, which I think is a significant factor. And I, I feel like I'm seeing in Western Canada what we saw in Eastern Canada a generation ago in terms of the demographic leaving the younger group behind. And you got to change something to get in, in the business model. And like, I, it was funny because I was playing with the numbers and you, you make two really strong points that are like indisputable. That if you looked at, if you broke down the, let's just break them down to the, the CFL's two biggest sources of revenue, okay? Are television and gate. Like this is, the CFL business model for revenue is actually very simple. So you broke down that in adjusted dollars in 1976, there was an average ticket price of $25.44. In 2019 right? dollars, yes. In 2019, inflation. in 2019 or, dollars. Well, 20, 2021 dollars, but inflation. Okay, so let's just say adjusted for inflation, 25.44. When you multiply that number times 225,000, which was the number of tickets the league sold in 1976, you get $51 million. Okay. Now, I took a stab at what the average ticket price in the league is right now. I think it's about $50. You know, I did the math on Saskatchewan's. Saskatchewan's is about 60, but they're probably higher because obviously we know that's the market. Product. Premium product, yeah. right. So let's say we use, in fact, I use $51 because $25.44 times two gets you to 51. Okay, so we just said, let's say the ticket price in real dollars, adjusted dollars, has doubled. So that means you've got $96 million in revenue. There. Well, compared, one, one thing you do have to recall, though, is the CFL didn't go to an 18 game season until 1986, right. which means but we're just talking total attendance. Get, well, fair, but but the point is, sometimes I think we look at the attendance numbers from 30, 40, 50 right. years ago, and we forget that context. Right? Is that now teams have an entirely extra home game? You, if your attendance is down by 10 percent, your take home or your number of tickets you sell is right. actually more because you have right. more opportunity to host games. Right, and that's actually. That, that would be on its own account for 11.11% more revenue if you do the math there on what that works out to, right? So that, that explains 11.11%. 11 
The other one is TV, which, as you pointed out, was a million and a half dollars in 1976, which translates in real dollars to seven point to seven point five million compared to. And even though I work at TSN, no one has ever shown me the number. But let's just assume it's 50 million. Right. It, it shows up in the team's books as four point five. But that's after the league's costs, paying the commissioner, the staff, all the yeah. other things come up. So let's well, go and with... And I'll say it because I don't want to put you in the awkward situation. Yeah. Dan, Dan Barnes reported it was $50 million per season okay. with incentives above that. So certain okay. so let's, things could be more, right. but 50, I think, let's, is... Let's a go with 50. Point. Okay. So 50 is $43 million more than you were getting in adjusted dollars in 1976. So on the ticket side, we got $46 million more. On the revenue side, we got $43 million. So out of the gate, we're starting $89 million ahead of where you were in 1976, assuming all your numbers are correct, and I have no reason to believe they're not. That's a pretty big number. Now, I think that's, and I, and that, I think that's a great premise to start up. And when I did that, that's kind of where I dialed back some of my skepticism of your premise and said, well, wait a minute. He's just shown that on adjusted dollars and gate and television, you're $87 million ahead of where you were the day you started. Now, the one line that is missing, and I saw that you quoted uh, Frank Cosentino as saying that the league's revenue was what, 12.9 million, right? He said in 1976, the gross revenue of the league was 12.9 million. That number was originally from the Toronto Star in 19, okay. that, was, that was released in February of 1977. That report came out, which, which, which really means that, that with inflation, the, the revenue has quadrupled, and you can see it with the ticket, and you can see it with the TV, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debate you on this one point here. Here's why. Okay, so 12.9 million, okay? 12.9 million. If you do the math on the ticket revenue that we figured out, it's, 50, it's actually 51.5 million, okay? 51, sorry, and 12.9 million, it, it translates into 59 million. You had it, right? That's what I had it, yeah. 59 million, okay. So we know the ticket revenue, because we've done the math on that, is 51 and a half, right? We know the TV is seven and a half. Well, what do you know? 51 plus seven and a half equals 59, right? Right. Now, the only problem would be there's three correct categories of CFL revenue, not two, okay? The third one is sponsorship. And I would think that in 1976, while the Toronto Argonauts were drawing forty-seven or 44000 a game, no Blue Jays, no Raptors. If you go to Edmonton, no Oilers. Go to Winnipeg, no Jets. Go to Calgary, no Flames. You do have Canucks in Vancouver. Those teams would have been pretty good, well-positioned for sponsorship. Yeah, Particularly Toronto, true. right? So let's say that – and Montreal too, again, you know, different markets. So – Let's say that I'm going to throw a number out. You can debate me on it. Would it be fair to say that the average team in 1976 in adjusted dollars would have brought in $5 million in sponsorship? That would be about, that'd be about a million in dollars of those days. I would, I mean, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, if I'm recalling their 2019, well, 2020 annual report reflecting on 2019, I think they took it. Yeah, they took in about that much. So I think that's a bit generous, but I'm happy to work with it as a working number. I'm just saying that the league, if you look at it, the league was probably more prominent. And again, way less competition, way less. There's, not, there's no Raptors. There's no Jays. You want to sponsor a pro team in Toronto, it's Leafs or Argos. So I'm, I'm just, I think five is a reasonable number, okay? So if that's true, that's $45 million 
that's not on those books. So that's so instead the league's revenue goes from 59 million to about 100 million. It's actually 104, but let's call it 100. Okay. Okay. So 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 my first point is that I don't think even if all these other numbers are right, and the league's revenues are now over 200, we're probably closer to talking about the league's revenues doubling than quadrupling. Because okay. I can't get away from that sponsorship number. But but the other thing I'll say is the other part of the article is talking about the player spending and the Montreal Alouettes. We'll get there. Led, <laughs> well, well, fair. And the Montreal yeah. Alouettes. I didn't I didn't put this in the article. Yep. Frank Cosentino and I'm, I got the book right here. Yep. And, and yep. for anybody who I've wants got a to copy check too. it out, yep. yeah, I've got I'm, a copy. Don't worry. It's just a, it's just a little plug for yep. our uh, sure. for our viewers and our listeners. It uh, and and fair warning if you're looking for like cozy, cuddly, you know, stories about the CFL to read before bed. This is not the book. The book is it's also, a business book. Yeah, it's a business book. I find right. it tremendously interesting. Average yeah. fan, I'm not sure they would. So t- take that at your own risk for our listeners and our viewers. But the 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 player spending right. The Montreal Alouettes had a one million dollar payroll in 1976. Nowadays, teams are still only making 5.4. That's the cap. Now, there is some expenditure above that, right? Players who are on the six-game injured list don't count towards that. I think Edmondson, for example, in 2019, with a lot of guys missing the full season, high-paid players like Sir Vincent Rogers, they said, I think they said they spent 6.4 million, which is more. But the point is, even if what you're saying is true, and league revenues have only doubled instead of quadrupled, their salaries have only gone up by by 50%. Right, right. Which is wild. Which is, um, well, yeah, well. Well, considering so yes. that rosters yeah. are so much bigger. Now, right, right, right. Rosters then, are bigger. Yeah, you've got smaller numbers money, of players. Okay. Well, they were spreading that money over a smaller group. Now you've got, okay. you know, the, the 46 guys on the active, you've got the practice roster, you've got the injuries, and they're still only getting 5.4. So right. all I'm saying is, and look, maybe the business model is broken. I, I personally don't think it is. But my point is in saying, if the business model is broken today, it's been broken for at least 45 years, and it's probably been broken for as long as they've been playing professional football in Canada. Okay, so you've got, so, so yeah, let's, let's move to the expense side, okay? So, so basically, on your premise of the leagues have quadrupled, I think they've left out the sponsorship category in those three, because there's three and that's pretty possible. Distinct, pretty, there's pretty three, well, when you do the ticket math and the TV number, it comes out right onto 59. Like, I was, I was actually, I didn't manipulate that. I was actually going 51.5, 7.5, 59. But we're missing a category. Okay, so that's fine. Because in the other one, clearly, when we're comparing it to today, that category is in every team's budget, right? You can see it, sponsorship. Okay, so so the only explanation for why the league's business model is not as good as it was if they are generating in real dollars more revenue is costs, right? So you mentioned one of them, that salaries have gone from in real dollars 3.4 million to... um, to about probably, like you said, about six million realistically, because the cap is five to five. Yeah, it's it's a. I've heard owners in the league say, "Why don't we publish the real number? We look smaller when we say five to five. If we're all spending six, well, why don't we they, do that?" They should release every single wow. salary, and fortunately, we do that on Three Down Nation all the time yeah. for people who are interested. But honestly, the CFL, in my opinion, is shooting itself in the foot by not releasing. I, I agree. Anything. Although the only thing I point out to other people is in other leagues, it's not the league that does it; it's the PA. And well, that's RPA, fine. Our PA but, won't do it. Well, they should work together then and, and figure that out. But I agree. No, I agree. It tends to be something, though, that if you do it without the PA's blessing, they'll get pissed. It creates friction, right? Other leagues, it's the PA that does. So um, so, so you got $3.4 million, okay? That's going to be so, – so that's a – you know, I know that say, well, the salary has only gone up 50%, but your, you know, your biggest expense has jumped by 50%. You're paying players 50% more money, and I know there's more of them. 
but that's a decision also. I'm talking about the overall cost, the line item and budget says, what are we spending on players? It's gone from 3.4 million to six. Then of course, you've got the, the front office cap, which is what, 2.6 million, right? Which is, yeah. which is coaches and other football administration. And then all of that goes under with the expenses, goes into the number called football operations, Right, which comes out to, uh, I think about fourteen million dollars. Right? Is that am I close there? Yeah, but but the thing I'll say though is these have all come in in recent years, and it seems like this narrative: oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling since COVID hit. Right. You know, if if we we, we wouldn't be having this conversation fifteen months ago, we we would be saying, well, the no. CFL, it's not the NFL, never will be. But yeah, it's healthy, it's viable, it's a great product. How and, close do you think we came to Montreal folding? Um. I mean, the, the, the rest of the CFL needed to carry Montreal for an extended period of time. I think it cost them each about uh, $800,000, depending on where you see Edmondson and Saskatchewan, how they, how they released that money. It wouldn't surprise me if we came close. I mean, they yeah, were I mean, insolvency. I mean, I'm just going to say, when Randy Ambrosi stood up on that Friday of Grey Cup Week and said, we feel confident we'll have... And I'm not calling him out, because this is what he's got to say, right? We feel confident we're about Montreal. We're talking to people, blah, blah, blah. The guy who bought the team... Didn't, he didn't have his first conversation with him by then. Like that yeah. guy came out of the woodwork, Gary Stern, after the Grey Cup week. So, you know, I, I'm thinking they were probably pretty close to, and then they announced it on January 6th, right? So, well, yeah. But you, you had in five weeks, you went from the guy after you, you did a search basically quietly all through the spring, an open search all through the summer and fall, and the guy you found popped up after the Grey Cup and you closed the deal in five weeks. That sounds to me like a pretty tenuous situation. Yeah, and that's fair, but I would look at it, and you referenced in, in, our, in our back and forth on Twitter mm. on Sunday, you referenced that, yeah, we've had bankruptcies, we've had issues. Right. And of course, that's accurate. But first of all, I think that points to the fact that we need better, better sharing of revenue. You mentioned off the top, Correct. well, Saskatchewan doesn't want to send their money to Toronto. Well, I know for a fact that Toronto sent a lot of money to Saskatchewan <laughs> and Winnipeg. Yeah. And that's ridiculous to think now that the Lions and the Argos in the 1970s and 80s were carrying teams on the prairies. But look, they did it then, and maybe it's time if we want this league to be viable for, for, for that debt to be paid, right? You know, and I, because and I that's think something that, that, that we can't have. We can't have teams folding if this league is to remain viable. I still think the league is viable, but there's always going to be ebbs and flows with individual teams. I think what you'd probably have to do is go to kind of what we were talking about on Twitter yesterday and say every franchise owns 11% of this league. Like, so that when we, if we make, if the league's $5 million cash positive, whether you had a good year, a bad year, whatever, you're getting 11% of 5 million. If the league's 5 million cash negative, you're getting, you're, you're paying into 11% of that. Now, in order to do that, you'd have to give the league office a lot more control in terms of standards of what teams do, right? Because if one team starts slashing its budget on this or doing a crappy job on that, then other teams are going to say, hey, hey, wait a minute, that team's not doing their job. And, you know, they're not spending what they're supposed to be spending in this area. They're not investing in this area. And since we're part of a whole, we all got to do that. So you'd have to standardize a lot of things and not let teams, you know, kind of go their own way. But basically what you're, you're looking at is football operations administration, sales staff. I don't have a budget on the expense side from 1976, but I'm going to assume that in the world we're in right now, which is way more competitive for the sport and entertainment dollar, I mean, in how many different ways, right? That, that, that it probably costs more money to generate a dollar of revenue in 2019 than it did in 1976. Certainly, 
you know, in a place like Toronto in those days where I am actually old enough to remember. I mean, you think about it. The Argonauts radio rights in 1976 were on CFRB, which was the mega station in Toronto. That was probably worth a lot, right? Anthony Davis, who was a rookie in 1976, had his own radio show on not even a sports station, on CFRB. So you've got, you know, you've got, I don't think that teams had to work as hard to generate interest and money in the competitive environment as they would have been. But the bottom line is, you could do, I think, here's how you could save the CFL's business model, if you wanted to, okay? You could cut the number of players back to 38. You could cut the number of coaches back to five. You could cut your GM and front office staff down in terms of numbers there. You know, you don't have to have your GMs flying to every NFL camp to see players, right? You could have them bird, using bird dogs and other ways, especially in today's communication. And you could go from paying your GMs 400000 to paying them two. You could go from paying your head coaches 300000 to paying them a hundred and a half. You could, you, you could scale everything back. You could, and you could cut player salaries. Absolutely, you could cut player salaries. Now, the question I have is that in order to make that 1976 business model work, can you slash enough that keeps that that keeps you viable? Or once you've gone to a certain size, and, and it's funny, you know, the commissioner pre-COVID, all he's talked about is the CFL being bigger, a bigger CFL, right? Bigger. We got to dro- drive revenues, get bigger. Really, what we're talking about if we're trying to rescue this business model, because I don't know how much you can drive revenues beyond what this business model produces. I think you no. can. I think you could grow it a lot actually How? and well i look at it in a situation where you know and i've i've got 50 years of attendance figures in front of me because mm-hmm. i'm a because i'm a nerd mm-hmm. um by the way the cfl i crunched it by decade the 2010s the cfl averaged twenty six thousand fans per game in the 1970s they averaged twenty seven thousand a game right attendance has remained consistent prices yep. have doubled and we have yep. more games so the, the revenue, revenue is the re- yeah. the t- I mean TV's up seven hundred percent and mm-hmm. gate revenue is up is, is has doubled it's doubled. Not, more yeah, than doubled. that's where we went off the and, top and yeah. the other thing the other thing that I'll say that I was surprised to learn and I don't know what percentage of revenue gate was in nineteen seventy six but I think it played a large role especially in that twelve point nine million number that I referenced from Frank oh, yeah for sure it does by the via the Toronto Star in twenty nineteen. Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Saskatchewan, the only three teams whose numbers we have, yep, right. had 35% of their revenue come from the gate. 35, which I was shocked because we still think of the CFL as very much a gate-driven league. I'm not saying that's not true at all, but I thought it would be a higher number. I, I, and I'm, just, I'm not going to say this is right, but I had a team president, and I don't want to out this president, but it was in the East, tell me that their gate, that their revenue was 60% tied to gate. Like if it wasn't tickets, it was driven somehow by fans in the stands games, whether that's, you know, the sponsors that are getting visibility at the game, whether that's food and beverage, whether that's um, sweets, you know, all those kinds of things. Now that, and that was, and, you know, and yeah. that's usually factored as a separate line for Winnipeg right. And, and, and right. It's concessions. And, and there are some teams as well. One of the problems they have in BC is that they don't get the concession money right. there. It's factored in a different way. So that's a big issue on the West Coast. The other thing, just while I think about it, is because I'm sorry to, I wanted to mention this earlier, was some of the revenue accounting, and I don't know how they did it in 1976, but if you look at, for instance, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that on their revenue side put $6.8 million in merchandise, okay? On their expense side, they put $6.4 million. So that number in terms of actual money that you're taking and saying, hey, we got this, it's four hundred grand. 
but in the books, if you just look at the revenue side, it looks like it's almost seven. So that that's a little misleading if every team in the league well, is, is doing gross merchandise like the, that. The other the other thing that I have an issue with in the in the community teams, you know, Edmonton mm. will post a twenty five million dollar revenue. Well, apparently it only takes twenty five million dollars to run a CFL team. Well, Winnipeg will post thirty five million dollars in revenue. Well, apparently it costs thirty five million dollars to run a CFL team. Saskatchewan will do forty, and oh look, it costs forty. Like, it, how it, can it, that be? Well, exactly. And, and, yeah. and it's not in the interest of a community-owned team that is essentially a nonprofit to be to making money. $20 yeah. million dollars a year, which is why, yeah. well, first of all, I'd argue if you share it, then it's not your profit anyway. But I looked at the numbers and I was shocked to learn that in 2005 to 2008, BC and Toronto's combined attendance, average per game, was 31,231. In Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, that number was 26,874. So within recent memory... In 2005, to the Argos and BC drew more than Saskatchewan and Winnipeg? That is a fact, Mr. Naylor, yes. You would that have... I, like, I, like John, I would never say you're not selling something that's not true. <laughs> uh, that would, I would just say this. That would surprise me. That, the, and, I, and, I, I would, and I'll tell you, among the other things that I would be a little bit careful with in this league, and this is not only the CFL, but like attendance figures are sometimes, you know, made up by, we used to joke and I won't say which team that the attendance figure was, we made up the formula. And one of the formulas was how many beers the team president had by the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Times. The I, number of I beers get it. You know I what I'm it. saying? But, and, but that, you, that would mean, surprise me in 2005. You've, you've referenced massive attendance numbers for BC and Toronto back in the seventies and the eighties. BC, yeah. I think actually sold more tickets than any other CFL team in the 1980s, which is wild for someone yeah. who, you know, if you were if you were a fan who's only yep. you know been a fan of the CFL for a couple of yep. years, you'd never guess that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Toronto and 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 BC outsold Winnipeg and Saskatchewan in and in, in, in the recent memory of the CFL. I'm gonna and, I'm gonna say that I think there's something there that doesn't quite ring true. And I'm not I, okay. I'm not, I'm, fair I'm, enough. I'm not, I'm not I'm not calling you somebody who's saying something you know not to be true. I'm just saying that. I mean, I covered this league right through that era, right? I covered this league. Other than the night, I took about a four-year break in the nineties because Ottawa folded. I came back in the league in two thousand one. That's what I want to talk about, though. So that let's talk about Ottawa. If you had a conversation with somebody at the in two thousand eight, they would say, "Well, Toronto and BC are great. The Prairies are okay, but you know where the CFL, you know where the CFL Chernobyl is, a place that it could never work is Ottawa. Look, they tried twice, they folded twice." That's never going to happen. They really missed the boat because Ottawa could be a good football town, but it'll never happen. Well, now the Ottawa Red Blacks have one of the most engaged and young crowd fan bases. And I, I know that you, you've said on the record, well, you think the crowd in Toronto games is old. I think you joked the other day. You said you're 53 and you're the youngest person in sitting section. in your section. <laughs> and that, that could be true. I'm not at Argos games, but when I look at the, the, the TV crowd or, or the crowd live in Winnipeg, it's not an old crowd. And, and, and the age thing, the CFL has a demographic issue. You, you mentioned it off the top, but the average age, and I just looked up these stats yesterday, the average fan of PGA Tour is 64 years old. Major League Baseball is 57. The NFL is 50. The youngest is the MLS at 40. Now, this study did not include the CFL. I don't know what the average age of a CFL fan is. I'm guessing it's younger in Ottawa and Winnipeg and Hamilton and Saskatchewan than it is in Toronto. But this narrative seems to be that, oh, well, the only people who like the CFL are 65-year-old retired farmers. And 
I don't think that's true. I think that there's there's a lot of money to be made in places like BC and Toronto. Let's talk about the XFL for a moment. I'm telling you, man. But, well, you know what? I'll, I'll just give you one anecdote. Just one. Like, I'm, I'm from Thornhill. I had a friend of mine who I work with who's actually become a CFL fan through osmosis. Went golfing with his buddies, all late 20s, professional guys. And I said to them on the – they grew up where I grew up. And I said, do you guys ever go to a CFL game? And this is just – I know this is just one anecdote, right? He goes, no, never. Well, we'll start with free tickets, and then we'll negotiate how much you're going to buy me at the concession stands. That was the conversation. You know, and that, that is typical. I, I, know we, I don't have numbers on demographic, but anecdotally, when I talk to people who are under 35, I find it very rare to find somebody who's interested in the Canadian football. I sat next to two Calgary firefighters on my flight back from LA when I went to do a feature on Winston Rose on the like Tuesday of Great Cup Week. These two guys had just come back from a football weekend in LA. Neither of them knew who was playing in the Great Cup in Calgary, 35 years old, don't care. I, I just have so many experiences like that that it just, you know, I, again, I don't have data to break it up, but anecdotally, man, and it crushes me. I mean, and I mean, uh, I believe you have those conversations, and yes, there are young people who are apathetic towards the CFL. I, I, I look at the people who are in the building. You know, a lot of people talk about Toronto like it could just never work there, and the reality is MLSC. I mean, the, you can watch the attendance fall. When David Braley bought that team, and I'll, I'll qualify it with this, I understand that the Toronto Argonauts were in, at very serious risk of fully folding, going into yeah. bankruptcy when he bought that team. So I want, I want to acknowledge that he didn't do it as a business move. He did it as a way to save the team, and I give him credit for that. But you can literally watch the thrown in there. That yeah, didn't well, and he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he watched those numbers decline. By the time he sold that team in 2015, they had their worst season ever. They sold 12,432 tickets on average. Yeah. MLAC takes over. At 2012, they did well, but that was, of course, the 100th Grey Cup. 2016, the numbers go up a bit, and they've fallen off since. I looked it up today. The last time the Toronto Raptors or the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have a combined 4 million Twitter followers, by the way, tweeted about the Argos, it was when they won the Grey Cup in 2017. So you've got an organization that's worth more money than anybody could count. And the Toronto Argonauts, they, they, they do very little, I would argue almost nothing, to promote their product. And then when it fails, it's like we point at it and we say, see, this business model could never work. Like, I'm sorry, but where's the leadership? And this no, is we've really... Had, we've had six ownership groups that have owned the Argonauts since 1991. I, and I don't, I don't know this, but I, say, I don't believe any of them has turned a nickel profit. Okay, six groups so, that never made money in 30 years. Any other business would have been like boarded up. Okay, but, but then there's also the, the matter of, well, then why are these teams still getting purchased? Like, why did Gary Stern buy the Montreal Alouettes? Did he buy it because he thought, you know what, this league, I've done the research, it can't grow, the business model's broken, and they really need to turn this league into a four-down league or something that'll in intrigue young people. But I'll buy it anyway because this, this seems like a great business opportunity. Like, like, people are talking about, oh, the XFL wants Toronto because it's a big market. Well, which is it? It can't be both. It can't be a, a CFL, you know, football dead zone where no one's ever going to support, you know, a non-NFL league, but also a really exciting opportunity for the XFL. Those are I, mutually, I, mutually exclusive things. They can't both I, be what, true. What, what I suspect is that people think that the brand of a different league might sell better in Toronto than the CFL. I think that's a joke. I, that's like I, 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 that's, I, I don't know that, but that's what I suspect. Like I, like the brand here is, it's hard, man. Like I live here and it kills me. 
right? But when I talk to my neighbors in suburbia, they don't know when they play. They don't know who's on the team. They, they don't care. And like on the marketing thing, and I get that, okay? But at a certain point, it's like soccer. You can have a million marketing messages coming to me. I'm not watching. I don't care. I don't like it. It's like, it's dead to me. Okay. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of what the CFL can feel like in Toronto sometimes. It, it, I don't that's, know that. Okay. Like if, but now I, I do agree with you that the awareness of game day in Toronto is horrible. Horrible. Like, and somebody very smart said to me one time, if you know our game is on, I can't guarantee you'll come. But if you don't know it's on, I guarantee you're not coming. And I do no. believe, I've often said, I'd love to stand at the corner of Young and Bluer someday on a Saturday when the Argos are playing at 7 o'clock and just ask people, do you know when the Toronto Argonauts next play? Yeah. And I bet it would be like crickets, right? Well, so, and I, my, so my, my wife's from Toronto. I've, right. we, we haven't been since COVID, obviously, but I usually spend two weeks a year in Toronto. So yeah. I'm not a Torontonian. I'm not from Southern Ontario. I'm, I'm born and bred in Manitoba, but I spend a, a, a decent amount of time, not considerable, yeah. but a decent amount of time in Toronto. And I fully get what you're saying. You would never know that the CFL is, is in that city. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a dream of walking to Dundas Square and, and seeing a, a, you know, a 50-foot advertisement with Nick Arbuckle or, or whoever mm-hmm. the starting quarterback is, the Toronto Argonauts, that would cost some money. But even just the lazy things that a team mm-hmm. could do, like what there, there's, there's nothing to talk about with the Toronto Raptors in, in May. Why can't the right. Toronto Raptors tweet out, hey, um, are, you a, are you a season ticket holder? Well, good news. If you're a season ticket holder for the Raptors, you're entitled to a free ticket to the preseason Toronto Argonauts game that's happening in three days. And by the way, it's going to be 28 degrees outside and sunny. BMO is gorgeous. And we're going to sell beer for four bucks. And that's not going to turn the franchise overnight. I'm just saying that's a free thing that MLSC could do. And to me, the leadership, and there's leadership problems across the CFL. I'm not saying that every team has poor Mm -hmm. leadership or the commissioner is poor in every aspect of what he's doing. I recognize there are positive things happening, but I just think there are free easy ways that they can get exposure that are currently not even being explored. So when a team puts in no effort and fails, I don't think it's fair for them to throw up their hands and say, this business model is broken. And then we all sit and say, well, you know, that guy is pretty smart. So he must be right. It's broken. I think there's a lot of things you can do that are easy or even free to help build that brand because Torontonians have shown up before the city got 8 million people in the GTA. I think it could work again because if Ottawa can work, right? Do you remember what it was like 10 years ago yeah, trying no, to talk look, to man, people I, about I, Ottawa? I, I, no, I know. And I, I've said that to people that when I, I left Ottawa in 2008, okay, I lived there 16 years. I buried two teams as a journalist. I covered the city hall conversations on destroying Lansdowne. I, I know the Ottawa story as well as anybody. And you're right. When I left Ottawa, if you said CFL, before you could finish a sentence, somebody's eyeballs hit the ceiling. Exactly. Right? And, and they did now. That said, it's a very different place than this is. Like Ottawa is a very kind of local place. And, if you, and, and, they, and they got in with a guy who had a proven track record of, of trust with fans through junior hockey and, and other things with Jeff Hunt. And he's a smart guy as well. And you could just do things there where you, you could really wait, raise the awareness of the presence of the team, which are, are harder to do in this market. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to, look, Toronto's a very, very hard one, right? And again, you wouldn't believe how many nights, sleepless nights I've had staring at the ceiling, trying to answer questions like the ones you're asking, right? And figure this thing out. Um, but here's the question. If, if the answer to the question, I talked to somebody who was a CFL owner today 
and was telling them about your article and telling them about this. And he said, I asked him, I said, what's the best you ever did in your years on the CFL team? And he said, we lost a million and a half. That was the best we ever got. Um, and I said, what do you think the problem is? Like, and I, and I laid out your two planks that you threw out, you know, TV money up 700%, ticket revenue in real dollars up. And he said, it's obvious, man. We pay the players too much. We're paying everybody too much. We're paying coaches too much. Like, so if you're, if you're going to make that business model work, what would you think would happen? And I'm asking this straight up is if you went to, let's say the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the team where you live and said, guys, Next year, you got to have 38 players. Every player's taking a 50% pay cut because we're up 50% from what we were in 1976. Our coaching staff's going to five. The coaches are taking a 50% pay cut. The admin staff's taking a 50% pay cut. We're cutting their numbers. And, oh, we're sending a chunk of money to Toronto and Montreal. Can you do that? Because that's what you have to do to fix the business model. That's I'm, what you got to do. I'm, I'm not convinced that's true. I think there's ways to, 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 to generate more revenue in the big markets, right? It, like Vancouver had a terrible year in 2019. I think you can grow it. Um, if you were to say that, I don't know what would happen. I think you would lose a lot of players to the XFL if they're going to start paying more. I think you do lose a lot of coaches to the XFL, and that hurts your on-field product. And if there's one thing that's not wrong with the CFL, it's the on-field product. I don't care what anybody says. The three-down game is more exciting than the, than, than the four-down game. And that, I, yeah, I, I can say I go, that because I, yeah. I watched NFL all fall and winter. I watched... Yeah six hours every Sunday. It's the most mm -hmm. NFL I've ever watched because there was no CFL season, obviously. Right. And, and, and the talent's better. We don't have a, we don't have a Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city or in, no. in the CFL and we don't have a Tyreek Hill in the CFL, yeah. but the, the, I don't know. I, I just think that for our leadership across the country to point and say, Oh, the problem is these greedy players making too much money when, you haven't necessarily done the work. And some teams have, but, but it's obvious that across the country, there's a ton of money being left on the table from teams who just aren't willing to make the investment to go and get it, right? What, what business can you succeed in without promoting your product? Well, right? but that costs money to spend. Like you got to spend money to make Oh, I'm aware of that. But MLSC has $4 billion in assets. Can they, mm -hmm. can they afford to, 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 to put up a, a massive billboard of Charleston Hughes surfing like they posted on Twitter? I think mm -hmm. the answer is yes, and they mm -hmm. just don't want to. And I understand it's not my money. The world's easiest mm. thing, right, is spending yeah, other yeah, people's yeah. money. Sure. I recognize that. I'm right. just a dude in Manitoba who wants the, the, the right. Toronto Argonauts or the BC Lions to market themselves properly. Easy for me to sit and point fingers. I would just love to see those things. One, one, one thing, and I know we're, we're running out of time. Oh, that's good. One, that's one, good. Thing I, well, one thing I want to talk about is the Grey Cup because the Grey mm -hmm. Cup, you mentioned it in reference to David Braley's ownership of the Toronto Argonauts. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of money to be made in the Grey Cup. I've run mm -hmm. the numbers. Some Grey Cup tickets, if you think that the price of regular yeah. season tickets has gone up and it's about doubled since the 1970s. The 1973 Grey Cup, the most expensive ticket you could buy was $17.50, which in today's dollars is a little over 100 bucks. The 2014 Grey Cup in Vancouver, the cheapest seat was $145. The average ticket was over $300. And the same was true in 2019 in Calgary. The cheapest seat was a little less. It was $119, but the average ticket was over $300. Uh, and of course, we, you know, you know just as well as anybody, the TV revenue for Grey Cup is massive. They have 4 million eyeballs on that game in 2019, even though 
unless you were a Bomber fan, the game sucked, right? It was supposed right. to be, a, sure. a, you know, it was supposed to be yep. a great game. It really we wasn't. It would be a, a classic, blowout. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was a blowout. The, the Grey Cup is routinely in the top 10 broadcasts in Canada every single mm-hmm. year. And it's the only thing on that list, at least that I can tell, that's, that's Canadian. truly Canadian. Everything else is syndicated from the United States. In Olympic years, it's still often top 10. In non-Olympic years, it's mm-hmm. usually top five. It wasn't in 2019 because there are four uh, Toronto right. Raptors right. NBA championship games that took place. Obviously, that's far from an annual mm. thing. But I just failed to see how you can have 23 million people or 23,000 people at every CFL game on average. You can have 4 million people watching the Grey Cup. It's literally the number one Canadian broadcast and it's also by the way it's not on ctv which it really right. should be it's on tsn i i failed to see that one i i'm aware i wasn't expecting you to <laughs> but all i'm saying I'll, I'll say it in case anybody else wants to say um but i i failed to see how that money maker right and and i know that cfl's talked about it is why don't you spread that nine ways that's at least something they should, they should. Absolutely. So that's, that's a small little thing that they could do like that. That would be a huge benefit to, to the other eight teams who aren't necessarily hosting every year. Yeah, no, I, I think that one of the things, and, and Randy Ambrosi has talked about this, in, in not in the context of the XFL stuff, but in the context of going into this offseason, like, that revenue sharing is an area that the league needs to tap. I mean, the Rough Riders and the Bombers can't play each other every week, right? And True. And, and, but you are going to get into issues, like I said, about, about how – you know, those teams that are sharing money with other markets are going to want to know that those markets are doing everything they can to generate revenue besides just taking a check from somebody else, right? So it's, right. It, it's does kind of, it does get into, which is why I moved kind of to the model almost of like, you know, owning one ninth of a whole, you know, um, as, you know, as, rather than actually even revenue sharing between yourself because then you're, then you're, you know, there's not as much of, hey, are you putting money in your pocket that you should be spending on, on those teams? Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an, the way you look at it is say that, yes, that's all true, but, but why, why are we seeing team like, why did Bob Wettenall like throw the keys on the table and run out the back door? Because well, he couldn't make money there. Well, he couldn't, but he also had owned the team for 20 years. I want to say owned the team since, for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Since it came back from, yeah. or since it moved for Baltimore. Right. Yeah. But he must've um, tried, he, he must've tried to sell it right before he threw the keys on the table and ran it. Cause he got nothing for it. The league. Of course. So yeah, of course. And, and, and that's all well and good. He, he left his post after owning the team for 20 years. And I would assume making money at least some, probably a lot of those years. Cause the Alouettes were really good for, for right. most of the nineties. They got to go to the great, I mean, heck with the East West division being what it was. Right. They were, they were, they were penciled in. Yeah, exactly. They were penciled in every single year. Well, see, this is the other point. And again, I, you know, we don't have access to all the numbers and we, and and we've broken them down enough. And I know doing that on a podcast is not probably anybody's idea of great radio or broadcast broadcasting or whatever, but here's the other question I have. And I brought this up on Twitter the other day, franchise values, like the Toronto Argonauts are worth less today than they were in 1979. You can find in the late 1979 and 1980s, CFL teams changing hands for the same amount of money as NBA teams. Like the Denver Nuggets and the Argos sold for like the same amount of money roughly. I tried to look this up actually yesterday and I couldn't find it, but it, it, you can see other facts that I'm finding that line up with that, but I couldn't actually find that one. So why are franchise values in other leagues, and, and I mean include AAA baseball, junior hockey, others, like they've soared. Like, you know, I remember when Jeff Hunt paid two and a half million dollars for the 
Ottawa 67s in 1998. People freaked out. Well, junior hockey teams are now selling for like 10 million bucks. Why are we not, if the CFL business model works, why do we not see franchise values increase? Because the way franchise values increase is people say, wow, that's a great business. I'd like to own it. And you get the same way I just sold my house and I got, I did okay on it. Why? Because more than two people wanted to own it or more than one person wanted to own it. Right. And they, you know what I mean? Why doesn't that happen to CFL? Because it happens in other leagues, right? That's, if the business model worked, we would have had the same ascension over the last quarter century that other leagues have had. And that would have meant that when an owner throws the keys on the table and runs out the back door, we don't have to go 11 months without someone because there's a lineup of people that want there. It would mean that when we have a pandemic that shuts down the foot, that shuts down football, teams would be willing to spend to play without fans because they're protecting their franchise value, which right now, like, you know, the analogy I used on why the CFL didn't play this year and whatever it is, if you've got a hundred thousand dollar vehicle and you take it into the shop and they say, sir, you got $5,000 in repairs necessary, you do it. If you've got a $10,000 vehicle and you take it into the shop and they say, sir, that's going to be $10,000, $5,000 in repairs. Uh, you know what? That's the CFL, right? The, the value of the asset didn't justify the investment that they needed to make to play. And that's, that's a function of franchise values. The lack of franchise values in this league is holding this league back. Right. That, and I, I would agree with, with some of that. I would also argue there were lots of owners who did want to play. Now, they could have footed the bill for multiple teams and chose not to, but there were people who wanted to play. There were and, people who wanted. No, absolutely there were. There absolutely, and and, 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 I, and like, I'm not sure they made the wrong decision, to be honest. You know, like that's uh, my own I, take. The, and, and personally, I think, and obviously this is all related to the pandemic. Again, we wouldn't be having a conversation 15 months ago about whether or not the business model works. And, and at the end of the day, maybe it just comes down to the interpretation of the word works. Can you own a CFL team? and break even? In my opinion, the answer is yes. Even the Toronto Argonauts. Yes, there have been people who have struggled to make money. They've lost money. I Over think 30, man. I think, honestly, the last time somebody okay. made money in the Argos is 1989, the first year they were in the Dome. Okay. That year, I think they made there, money. But again, I would question, okay, if this is a perennial money loser, right? There, there's still, there, there's no, like, like MLSC doesn't have to own the Toronto Argonauts. They could fold nope. the Toronto Argonauts tomorrow and not bat an eye. Right, but they choose to own them, and maybe it's just a tax write-off for them. I don't know. I'm not a corporate CEO. I'm not an accountant. Yeah. That's that's above my pay grade. But there's one example, right, in the recent memory of the CFL of an owner doing what you said, throwing down the keys and walking away. And yeah, if if you're Gary Stern, and I don't know Ottawa, Gary Stern, 2005. Ottawa, oh, oh well, I'd almost suggest that selling a team to Lonnie Gleiberman is, I guess, the well. No, hold, but hold on. Let's. I guess I'll get to tell you a little anecdote on this one, and this week maybe it's fun for your listeners. So, when the Waters Group owned the CFL team in Ottawa, okay, Don Brennan, you know Don Brennan probably, right? He, he in Ottawa, he writes a column. He writes a column saying the Gliebermans are going to come back into the picture in the Ottawa ownership group, right? Because remember, it was Bill Waters, right, and and Bill Smith and and Randy Gillies and those guys. So Don Brennan writes a story, I think it was during Great Cup Week in 2004, says the Gliebermans are going to come back into the ownership picture. That was such a preposterous story that even though I like Don, I thought, ah, Don's kind of just throwing that out there, right? Like that's, right. that's not, you know, we look at things, sometimes we, we all write stories of something that might happen, even though we know it probably won't. But if it could, we can justify writing. That's what yeah. I thought Don Brennan's column was. Yeah. So I called Brad Waters that day, who was then the president of the team, and I said, can you believe that column that Don Brennan wrote about the Gliebermans coming in to join your ownership group? And he deadpanned back to me, well, Dave, 
someone's got to pay the bills for this team. And I just about <laughs> fell on the floor. Like I was just like, what? Like, and so the reason they came right. in was because the business model was failing and they weren't willing to pay the bills anymore. So they brought in the Gleibermans who were willing to pay the bills. That's how you get yeah. bad owners. Yeah, no, no, true, true. And, and, Look, uh, I, I don't have the money to buy a franchise. I never will own a sports franchise. Right. So I, maybe I shouldn't be as quick to judge the people who do. I just look at the situation and I say, if, if you're the one who, who struggles or, or you're one of the two who struggles or you decide, you know what, this is an asset that I can buy for very little and I can make it work, I can make it click, and you come in and, and you do your darndest and you fail, Maybe you did all you could. I just think that sometimes the egos of some of these, these ultra-rich millionaires, mm-hmm. billionaires, they come in, and when they fail, they decide, oh, no, it's, it's not me. It's not the player. It's the game. No, the game's rigged. The game's broken. The business model doesn't work. Because right now, if you wanted to buy the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I don't know what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are worth, but I'm guessing it's a lot of money. It's It'd probably worth a lot. It's probably 10 times what it was worth in the 90s. That franchise probably has ascended. The same would be true for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who, you know, in the 1990s were probably worth a song and are now worth a ton of money. Edmonton has always been strong as a community team, but there's, there's a reason why, like, these franchises still have value. Know that they have not appreciated like some other leagues, and maybe the XFL feels like they can change that. I can think of no other reason why the XFL is interested in the CFL and, and Toronto especially has been mentioned a lot, then they think that they can make this thing work. And so my question is, what can the XFL bring to the table that MLSE can't? Because MLSE owns sports in Toronto. And Pinball, who's arguably the most iconic Argos player in history, is the GM. Like if MLSE and Pinball can't make it work, now we're saying the XFL can? I think wow. that I, I, I don't buy that for a second. Well, the, the, what the XFL could do to the business models, bring, you know, net, American network television to the table, right? That would be the biggest thing. And, like, and, and I think they want a bigger league. Like, I think they know there's limits to an 18 league, especially if you're talking about props and betting and fantasy, right? So that's, that's I think, probably the biggest draw for the XFL. I think they probably like the established brands. I think they probably like the established fan bases that you're talking about, mostly new stadiums, modern stadiums. I think all those things are attractive. You know, the the great test is going to be, you know, what's the brand that they sell on this new league if they go there. Right. And, and, and like, I think, you know, just, I think that, you know, you and I come at this from different sides, but, but I, I sort of threw this out on Twitter is that like, there's, there's people who believe in the business model and they, think the risk the XFL presents way more risk than the current business model does. And there's people that don't believe in the current business model and they think the status quo prevents presents way more risk than, you know, trying to do the right. XFL thing. And and look, I don't know, I can't speak to what the XFL thing is because I don't know what it is, right? We know what the idea is, yeah. but clearly there's I'm not I don't have access to due diligence. That I assume that's what's going on right now, you know, trying to look at that. But the question is going to be like, you know, Toronto's such a weird place, right? Like, this yeah. is the city where more people drove to Buffalo to watch Doug Flutie play for the Bills than would watch him when he starred for the Argonauts. You know, right. so, and I don't know, that may be literally not correct, but it was, you know, I'd I'm be getting, surprised, right? but yeah. But, but, there were, but people definitely fawned more over that than they did this. You know? I, I just think if you've got, you've got, you know, if the NFL is like the top Italian mm-hmm. restaurant in town, mm-hmm. the CFL is the best sushi place. 
and yeah. taking the best sushi place and saying, you know what, those Italian guys are doing well. What if we did what they did, but worse? I, I don't think they're coming to your restaurant. I think you need to be the best sushi place but, that but, you can be. But let's use an example of something that the Argonauts did that was way outside of the box and it was aimed at young people and, and that was tailgating. Right? That was a very bold thing that they tried when Mike Copeland came in and brought in tailgating at BMO Field. And it was not the tailgate like where you ram people for nine bucks a beer. I think it was four bucks a beer. You know, you yeah. could go, you could go over to the, the person at the cooler, hand them 20 bucks and come back with five beers for you and your buddies, right? Yeah. Uh, on days that I wasn't working, I tailgated there. My parents tailgated, my girlfriend tailgated, my girlfriend's parents tailgated. Um, you know, Steve Simmons tailgated every week, <laughs> yeah. honest to God, right? Season ticket holder. But when I looked around in the parking lot, it was people my age and they did that 100% to try to get the younger party people that live, you know, in that part of the city. And if you look at the ads that they ran for that tailgate, it is some of the best looking human beings you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> right? <laughs> under, under the age of 25. But that wasn't what the tailgate looked like. And I, right. and I, I would have said, like, I'm just trying to bring up because we're going yeah, don't, around. Don't, that's a, don't that's sell yourself like, short, Dave. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bold idea. I thought it would work. It was, it was not BS tailgating like they had in the Bills in Toronto series where they put a fence yeah. around a parking lot and jammed you for nine bucks a beer. It was as legit as you can get without being able to bring your own beer, and it didn't work. And I, I was heartbroken. Yeah, I get. It. Hey, and may, may, maybe this, maybe this, the ship, the good, the good ship Argo has set sail in Toronto. I don't want to believe it's true. I don't think it's true, but but we'll wait and see. I I just I I don't understand this equation of Toronto CFL could never work, but XFL Toronto that's going to work. I think NFL Toronto might work. I think oh, yeah, it would people, for, it would for sure. I think it would. I think it would. It would, I, I, it would I'm be... not seeing XFL. If but, I could invest ten thousand dollars in the NFL team in Toronto tomorrow, I would absolutely. Yeah. Well, on on that, Dave, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for going this long. It was a great conversation, and uh, again, I appreciate you taking it. Thanks for the healthy debate, John. And you know, the the one thing about this, as I say, we both come at this from some different perspectives. We both care about professional football in Canada. Want to see these nine franchises thrive, and I think one of the great things that's come of this thus far, whatever happens, to this. There have never been tongues wagging about the Canadian Football League right. like they're in March, like there are right now. And, and of course, the, the measure of that for me is I'm not just having these conversations with people who are CFL fans. I'm having these conversations with people who are not. So at the right. very least, we're at least engaging people outside of our core that something's going on with the league. Now, does, does that really matter if, A, this doesn't work, or B, they don't do it? I don't know. But at least for now... It's nice to see some buzz, you know, and the CFL owning yep. a, a legitimate part of the sports conversation in this country right now. Well, and it has to happen more. And, and I think that uh, finding new ways to get the league that exposure is, uh, is only in the best interest of everybody who's part of the league or covers the league. So I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. All right. Thanks, Thanks again, John. Dave. Appreciate it. Peace. Yeah. Bye. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 